Well, I'm going to continue our series called Why that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Um, there's a lot of things we do in the church, we practice in the church that becomes tradition in the church. And a lot of times we kind of go, why do we do that? Why is that important? Is, and, and where did that come from? And so we've been kind of answering those questions. We've talked about uh, the Holy Spirit. We've talked about baptism. And today I want to talk about elders and deacons. Maybe you've heard that term before and Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, maybe you're like, what, what is that? Um, but those are leaders in the church, and how did that come about? How did, in 2023, we still have elders and deacons in the church, but when we go all the way back to Scripture in that early church, we find out they had elders and deacons. So we're going to kind of look at that today. And the Christian church, without going into too much detail, has always been committed to looking back at that early church. And when I say early church, the first church that started right after Jesus lived, died, um, was resurrected, and then ascended. And he sent out, uh, right before he ascended, this thing called the Great Commission. And he says, go into all the world. And he says, starting in Jerusalem, where you live, Judea, surrounding areas, Samaria, and go into all the world and make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, go do that, because I'm leaving. Y'all are going to do that. And so, and he promised them that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we've talked about, and they started doing exactly what Jesus said very soon afterwards. So we read about Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then in Acts, we read about the beginning of the church and what happened. And based on that, we read, um, uh, we can gather kind of, where our roots are. Where did we get the things that we have in that early church? And why is that important? Because those were the people that were closest to Jesus, his disciples. Uh, they received direct teaching from Jesus. They uh, were discipled by Jesus. They lived with him. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him resurrected. And they knew that they were to carry out God's kingdom work for the future. So um, those same disciples also received that power of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus promised. And it makes sense to go to them because they were the earliest source. They were those closest and had the most best and best uh, and most accurate information about what happened. So as far as leaders go in the early church, we know that the original disciples were leaders, but also others that God would call. Now, when we say disciples, a lot of times we limit it to thinking about those 12 guys. Well, there were those 12 guys who were the closest disciples, but there were many other disciples in that early church that followed Jesus, men and women, and he considered them disciples. And so they were a part of the first church, and we know God would call other people. Paul was not one of the original 12, but we know he was specifically called to be an evangelist, to be a preacher, to go in specifically to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and share the gospel message. And that's exactly what Paul did. So some of the last words recorded by Jesus in Acts, the first chapter, we see that Jesus told them that they would, again, receive this power. And it wasn't just so they could have power, but they would be witnesses starting where they lived and go out. And that's exactly what they did. And again, and I say this a lot, you and I are sitting here today because people obeyed the Great Commission. This church has been established here in Noonan because people obeyed the Great Commission of Jesus saying, go and make disciples and get it started. And so that continues to happen, and that's an exciting thing. Um, we're talking about 
uh, Martha Wade, our missionary that we're going to see, Mike and I, she obeyed the Great Commission and went to New Guinea 40 years ago. And now she has, after 40 years, completed the translation of the Bible. And when she went there, there was no written language. I can't even get that through my head. So that's an amazing, amazing thing. But she was um, obedient to that. So based on what we see in that early church, we see clearly we're going to see, I don't want you to just take my word for it, you need to read the Bible, you need to read the Word and see what it says, but we're going to look at that today, that we clearly saw leaders called elders and deacons. Those are different titles, those are different functions, different gifts, different responsibilities, but necessary functions for the church to be what God wanted it to be, and to grow, and to be accountable in order to continue, again, that great commission of Christ. So I wanted to look at several New Testament letters um, that share with us the qualifications of what those early elders and deacons were supposed to be. And we'll start with elders, but we're going to read what it says about elders and deacons. Um, I'm not going to have this one on the screen, but in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas um, were going out, starting churches, and these they went on three missionary journeys, and they appointed elders in each church. And that was important. We read that. So when they started these churches, they said, hey, we're going to start this church here, but we're going to leave and we're not going to be here. So you need to appoint elders, leaders who will continue that teaching, continue that foundation of the teachings of Christ. And, and you need to continue that because we're going to leave and the church is going to have to continue. And so they started these um, leaders called elders. So let's look at 1 Timothy, which is one of Paul's letters in the New Testament, where he's writing to churches that they got started. And Timothy is actually the pastor or the preacher or the evangelist that started this church or, or was the pastor here in this church in Ephesus. And so Paul is writing back to him and the church to say, here's what y'all need to do as far as your leadership goes. And this is what he says. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or an elder desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So, there's clear what Paul was saying in that early church. He's saying, Timothy, this is what you need to look for in your elders and your deacon. Two different things. And he's, uh, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy as a young minister in this town of Ephesus who's pastoring these people in Ephesus. He says, you need to have leadership around you. You need to have people because you can't do this by yourself. It's too big. You can't pastor everybody. You can't take care of everybody. That's why you need elders and deacons. And there is a distinction. Elders' primary role is to be a shepherd, 
to be an overseer, to protect and care for the well-being of the body of Christ wherever it is. They are to teach and counsel and make sure what's being taught is sound biblical doctrine. So we have elders at our church just like they did back then, but they're to make sure that whoever's standing here teaching, whether it's in Sunday school or the youth group or the children or me, they need to make sure that what you're hearing from me is actually God's Word, not something that I heard from Dr. Phil or Oprah or whatever else. Not that those are bad things, <laughs> but you need to make sure that what I'm teaching or just the philosophy of the day that I heard on TikTok, I'm just preaching on Sunday. No, what am I teaching? They need to hold me accountable to that. And so that's their primary role. And you probably know a lot of those roles, you know, they were the same, some of the same characteristics, but the difference between elders and deacons is that the um, elders are teachers and making sure that, that their doctrine is sound. So they must know God's word very well. And deacon's primary role is to serve the needs of the body so that the elders can fulfill their role as elders. Now, there was a book that our elders read a few years ago called They Smell Like Sheep. That's a great title for a book because if you're going to be an elder, a shepherd, you need to be among the sheep. You need to smell like them because you're so much around your people and your flock that you know about them. And that's very, very important. And so Paul is drawing special attention to the importance uh, of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of the role, uh, role of the elder. And he says it sets his heart on the role. He has a desire to lead and encourage and equip and challenge other people. That means not just so he can have the title, but I want to see people grow. I want to challenge them. I want to strengthen them. I want to make them disciples. I, I have a desire to do that, to challenge people. And that's what an elder, and they are, it's a noble task. That means it's character-led. I'm not doing this for recognition. I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing it because my character says, this is what God's called me to do, and that's what he wants to do. They should be above reproach. That means they have a good reputation. Their actions and their lifestyle, they speak for themselves. There's not a contradiction between what they say they are and who and who they are when they really live uh, on on day to day life their day to day life uh, the husband of of one wife that means no polygamy can't have multiple wives that's not good um, and, oh that was in the old testament yeah but that didn't always go well did it ask Solomon about that okay um, how about divorce and we've had that come up in the church before what if somebody is divorced and and but what if they were divorced when they before they were a Christian and then later they became a Christian and and now they're married and they're still with the same wife and 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 we've walked through that as the church as well but basically it means you're a one woman man you're not going to have multiple relationships going on it says you should be temperate without extremes either direction you're steady self-controlled able to restrain oneself consistently respectable morals and behavior are in check hospitable how do you treat strangers how do you treat people out in the world how do you treat new people how do you treat visitors able to teach again elders are able to teach to share the gospel message that somebody asks how do i be a how can i be a follower of jesus you're able to go to the scriptures and tell them tell them about the doctrine you're able to receive questions that doesn't mean you have all the answers but one of the things we fail in the churches is that we're scared of people's questions there's a lot of young people today that says no one would ever answer my question about this in the church. And we don't need to be afraid of their questions, but we need to try to answer their questions head on, don't we? Whoever that is. Even if it's hard. You know what? If somebody tells me they don't know, I respect that. But I will try to find out, right? That's what we should do when people ask questions. So an elder says, you know what? I'm not sure about that. But let's look at the scriptures together. Let's try to find answers for what you're asking about, specifically when it comes to their, their faith. Uh, not given to drunkenness. Obviously, that's not a good thing for an elder or a deacon. Not violent, gentle, no uh, 
uh, abuse or fits of rage, not quarrelsome, not somebody that's argumentative, constantly correcting people, always having to be right, not a lover of money. You're not greedy or materialistic. You must manage your family well. That doesn't mean your family has to be perfect, but that you need to manage your, your family well and know that they're important to you. Not a recent convert. That could make someone conceited. Well, I just became a Christian. Now they want me to be an elder. That could make you conceited. He says, be careful with that. A good reputation with outsiders. How do you react? How do you um, act in the community, in your business, in the community? When people see you at a ball game, if they see you at your business, at a restaurant, and the way you treat a server, all of that people are watching. So how do you act in, in your reputation with outsiders? Now, um, let's talk a little bit about deacons for a minute. A lot of the same things overlapped, as you saw, except they don't necessarily, aren't necessarily teachers. doesn't mean they can't be, but they are servants. That's what deacon means in the original Greek. You're a servant. They're worthy of respect. Um, your lifestyle makes it easy for people to respect you. You're sincere, sincere and authentic person. Not, again, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. In your business, people don't know you in the community as somebody who does shady deals, but he's a deacon at the church. Yeah, that's, that's not a good thing. Uh, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Not just say, I'm a doubt somebody for wives you say wait a minute they had their wives have to be you know say well worthy of respect not a malicious talker temperate and trustworthy your wife's not going around gossiping that's not a good thing if you're a deacon but also as we're going to find out in just a little bit when deacons were first formed in the early church they had a specific role of helping and this specific role of getting food to widows they probably needed their wives help probably couldn't do it by themselves so obviously their wives need to be part of this ministry and we'll Go to that in just a minute. Uh, the deacons um, also, let me ask you this question. Don't answer out loud, but a lot of y'all are going to go, oh, I don't know how to answer. Were there women deacons in the early church? See, everybody's afraid to answer. I ain't going to answer that one. That's obvious. Some of you are nodding, and you're exactly right. They were in the early church. Romans 16, and we'll read that a little bit later. There was a, a lady named Phoebe, and Paul says she is a deacon. She's done a great job, and she's helped me tremendously. So there were. Well, why don't we have them? Because we're, we're like, oh. Deacon does not mean male servant, female servant. Deacon means servant. There is no added to that. So it means anybody can do that. But in the church, we've kind of gotten a little uncomfortable with that. It's like, oh, well, that's a male role. It's not biblical. So again, I say this all the time. We need to be careful with biblical truth and then religious and traditional convictions about things. And those are two different things. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Those are different things, and we need to make sure. Wait a minute. That's a tradition in my church, but is that biblical, or is that something that's been set up over the years? And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But I want to read this passage from Acts chapter 6, to tell us where, <clears throat> excuse me, where deacons actually were formed in the New Testament and why they were formed. So in Acts, um, we're going to look at verses six, um, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, I believe is what it is. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give um, our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So you see what was happening. Widows needed to be helped in this community because their husbands were dead and they needed help with food. And this church was distributing food to widows, 
But the Jewish widows seemed to be getting the food and some of the Greek widows were not. And they're like, hey, what's going on here? Why are, why are our widows not as good as yours? And it was causing a controversy. So the disciples, the 12, gathered the other disciples say, we need to talk about this. We need to fix this problem. And they got together and says, hey, we need to choose some folks that will do this. Because we're called to teach the word. And if we're te- trying to teach the word and going out and teaching the word and preaching and teaching, and then we've got to take care of the widows, well, we're not going to get that done. So we need somebody else to do that. And you, I will let you go and read the other verses. But basically, they solved the problem by creating deacons how many of y'all remember any of their and they list who the deacons were you probably remember this name Stephen he was one of those specifically a lot of y'all been uh, probably part of a church ministry called the Stephen ministry everybody ever heard of that same kind of thing where we're going to serve and help people a Stephen ministry that's where this came from so here's a couple more New Testament texts to see that was going on in the early church this is the letter to Titus in another place But Paul is writing, and he says in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he gives, again, very consistent uh, specification. He says, An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Uh, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good and is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So you see the differences and, and what's going on there. But again, Paul is writing to different people, but consistency in all these letters saying you need elders, you need deacons, and this is what they ought to function like. Um, Peter, one of the original 12, writes in one of his letters, his first letter, 1 Peter 5. He says, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And again, there's that shepherding thing. You're to be a shepherd, not lording it over. You're not in charge of everybody and have all this authority so you can boss everybody around. But no, like a shepherd, Jesus was the what? The good shepherd. He says, the sheep know me. They know my name. And I know them because I'm with them. And they understand who I am as their leader. And notice Peter is addressing elders. And he says, I'm an elder too. Yes, I'm a preacher. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm an evangelist. Yes, I'm one of the original 12. But guess what? I'm an elder just like you, so I understand this. And I have those qualifications, and I try to fulfill those roles in my life just like you do. And he lets them know that serving, there's rewards to that. Not maybe some that we might think in the world, but excellent standing. Your status and your reputation is a huge thing, isn't it? And he says, you need to have that as an elder and a deacon. Great assurance that in their faith in Christ, that is what God's called me to do. There's a great feeling in our lives when we really are doing the things that we believe God has called us to do. And when we do those things, we see the effect that it has on other people. I think about Martha Wade. She went to New Guinea doing what God called her to do. And now I think 40 years later unbelievable effect on the people in that village because of what she's done, because of what she was called to do. 
Now, what I want you to see here, notice what we didn't see in any of these passages. What you didn't see was elders need to be rich or popular or a good businessman or own their own business or need to be perfect. We don't see any of that. We see these qualifications. There's nothing about a board of elders and deacons in there. Paul doesn't address the chairman of the board at Philippi or uh, the vice chairman or the secretary at, at, at uh, uh, Corinth. We don't see that anywhere. doesn't mean there wasn't there. We don't hear anything about bylaws. And you need to check your bylaws in Corinth and see if that's the right thing to do. Well, again, where did bylaws come from? Where did chairman of the board come from? Where did all that come from? The board, the board of elders and deacons. And don't hear me saying those are bad things, but it's kind of understandable how those came in. Probably as the church spread throughout the world and it went to a different culture and they're learning about how to be Jesus followers and they're learning about elders and leaders, they kind of say, well, in our culture, leaders do this. And so in this culture, we'll just do that and we'll bring that into the church. And again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the greater question is not whether it's good or bad, but is it biblical? Is it biblical? Is it closest to the early church? And we need to think about that. So it's very obvious to see in the West, in the United States, because we're very fixed on political power and business power and and that kind of corporate world. We need to have a board at the church, and there needs to be a chairman, and there needs to be a vice chairman, and a secretary. Now, again, those things aren't bad, but that's how that got into the church. And again, the question is, are they biblical? Do they point us to Christ and His teaching and our behavior and the way we treat others and following that great commission and making disciples? Is that still being done through the board or are we getting into into political and business type of things? Another text I want to read for you is Romans 16, 1 through 12. Sorry, I messed that up in the first service. Thanks to those wonderful people in the booth who um, have to deal with my bad decisions sometimes, but we only had two verses for them. But anyway, y'all get all of them. But anyway, thank you. Um, But Paul's writing to the Romans, and the Roman culture was an interesting, wild culture in that first century. This is the greatest power in the world at the time. This is the world power, Rome. And they see their leaders, their Caesar, as a god. And if they started following Jesus, they realize, no, he's not a god. We don't worship him. We worship God, the creator, and they're having to make a lot of lifestyle changes as to how do we deal with this in this culture, all these things in our culture, how do we deal with them? And so Paul is writing this letter, and I'm telling you, you need to read Romans. And Sometimes you can get a little bogged down, but Romans is basic Christian doctrine about what, especially, I want to say, 5 through 7 is really, really important. 5 through 9 is really, really important because Paul is giving him the foundations of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and why that's so important. So at the end of this letter, I'm going to read a bunch of names that I'm going to butcher, (laughs) but you're going to go, why are we reading these names? And I'm going to tell you in a minute. But the first one he says I referred to uh, earlier, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sincorea, I believe is how you pronounce that, and I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, and not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. There again, they didn't have buildings, then they met in houses. Greet my dear friend Apentus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. 
Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stychus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. That's an odd name, isn't it? Bet he was arrogant. Just joking. <laughs> um, greet Tryphena, Tryphosa. These women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And you go, okay, that's great, Craig, but why are we reading that? Well, in that ancient um, world, they closed letters by making greetings to people. Notice Paul knows all these people's names. Even though I butchered them, he knew who they were. And not only did he say just greet them by name, he had a little sentence about who they were and why he remembered them. And most all of them were referred to by some kind of work they did. You notice how many times work was in there? Work, work, work. They were doing something in the church. Saved his life. Were Christians before I was. All these things. And why did Paul know their names, y'all? Because he lived with them. He lived among them. He got to know them. That meant he didn't just start that church in Rome. He remembered those people because he became a part. He smelled like them. He smelled like a Roman because he was with them. And that's how he remembers their name. And I think about that. Not only there just was, was there necessarily a woman deacon there, but she made a difference in that church because she was a servant. And all of us could probably, that have been in the church in any amount of time, can write a letter to our old church and say, and you start naming names. You remember Mr. Smith? He always gave the kids candy. I loved him. Every time when I went to church. You know, stuff like that. People in the church, we remember them because they had an impact on our life. But Paul knew them. He was really an elder, an overseer, and a shepherd. And he did those things consistently. It wasn't just a title or a role. It was Paul's life. So I say all that to say this. At the end of September coming up, we're going to get to vote on our elders and deacons here at Southwest. You get an opportunity as a member of the church to vote on those folks. And that is a huge responsibility. It's a unique opportunity to choose your leader. And as a functioning member, you need to know who they are. Because elders have responsibility for you in your spiritual walk. And are they doing that? The deacons are serving and doing things in the church. And that's a responsibility they have. And we need to know who those people are. So before I ask this question, how many of you know your kids' teachers at school? Now, I know some of them, but I'm embarrassed. Well, usually us dads are bad because. But if I don't know who are teaching my kids at school, or I don't know who their coaches are, I don't mean on a very, very personal, but you need to kind of know, right? And if you don't, it's like, well, I'm kind of, that's not good. Do you know your kid's doctor? I don't know. My wife takes them to the doctor. You know. Need to know who? Your dentist? Do you know them? I mean, you need to know these things. So I ask the same question. Do you know your elders and deacons in the church? And if you don't know them, whose fault is that? Is it their fault or is it your fault because you're disconnected? You know, and we have ways. We have them listed on our, on our website. And we have this wonderful thing called the Church Pictorial Directory. And I cheat all the time like you do. Don't judge me. You do. You forget people's names. But we go, oh, that guy's an elder. I can understand that. I didn't really connect, but now I see his face. I know that. I, oh, that guy's a deacon. He's always doing stuff. I know who that is. So I'm asking you for the next couple months, you need to try to do that if you don't know who those folks are. Or if you don't see them worshiping God, you don't see them serving others, if you don't see them uh, connecting or building community with the rest of us, then you might want to go, maybe, 
Maybe that's not the right role for them, and you need to think about us, but you have the opportunity. And I use this illustration all the time. I know y'all are sick of seeing it, but I'm so enamored with that show, Undercover Boss, because in that show, the undercover boss goes undercover with his employees, and he or she finds out that I really don't know what goes on in my company. I really don't know my employees, and I'm kind of embarrassed. They have a lot of needs. They're human beings, and they keep my company running, and at the end of it, it's very emotional, isn't it? They feel, wow, I really didn't know what was going on. And sometimes somebody's been sick and has medical bills, and they'll do something very generous like pay all their medical bills. And then you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's doing that. Or they want to go to school, and they send them to school. You go, oh, my gosh, you're going to send them to school. That's awesome. That's, that's all inspiring and wonderful. But the thing that's most inspiring to me is when they hear the employees and the problems that are going on, and they actually do something to fix it. And they do. So you see at the end of the show, you know, they'll say a year later, Mary, who was complaining about how terrible the computer was, she has a new computer now. This person who said in, uh, you know, whatever that area of the company was, was not working right, it's been changed now. She's in charge of it, and it's going so much better now. The employees are, that means they make a change. And in the church, we need to understand if our church isn't functioning right with our staff, with our elders, with our deacons, with our leaders, we need to have a voice in changing that, and it needs to be changed when change needs to come, right? And that's important. So you have the opportunity to do that. So just to kind of give you a little bit about our uh, process, but before I do that, if you're sitting here as a young person, you're going, this is so boring. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I won't be one for years to come. But guess what? The things that are happening in the church right now affect you. And you have an opportunity to affect the church for the next generation. We need elders and deacons and leaders in the church. And guess what? Y'all have this unique, unbelievable set of stuff that's in your world that's going to be have to be dealt with in the church. Am I right? I mean, stuff we go, now what are we going to do if that happens in the church? And y'all know as well as I do, in the news there's churches that are splitting all over the place because they're going through issues. And you have to know, again, not what does the world say, not what TikTok says, but what does God's Word say about that issue? How are we going to deal with it in the church? And you have an opportunity as a young person in the next 5, 10, 20 years. Because guess what? I'm not going to be around in 20 or 30 years. A lot of these people are not, but you are. And for the church to continue, you need to know what God's Word says about those issues, and you need to step up and be a leader and change and allow the church to continue to be the foundational bride of Christ that it's always been. That's huge. So if you're bored, I hope you feel responsibility now. I hope so, because I want the church... You remember when uh, uh, um, Dr. Lawson came and told us, I want a church for my grandchildren. Remember that amazing sermon he did? That's true. I want to be here as a grandfather, not be the preacher anymore, and go, this is awesome. Look at all these kids who are in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, in our college ministry, are now the leaders of our church, and it's still important to have missions to, to spread the word of Christ. That's awesome. And I want to see that, and that has to happen. So we need to. People invested in me. People invested in me as a young person. We need to invest in our young people. So y'all still be, be praying, because we are, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find new positions and and that kind of thing for our children and our youth, and that's very, very important, and we're excited um, about the, the possibilities for the next few years. So don't just turn blind ear to that kind of stuff. Um, so we have a, uh, uh, a uh, committee that we call the Nominating Committee, and that committee is made up of some folks you can see on our website. And um, you go to one of, if you think somebody in our church has those qualifications, you go to one of those committee members. Don't go to them first because you might go and say, oh, Mr. Smith is great, I'm going to go, hey, Mr. Smith, I'm going to elect you, 
I'm going to nominate you for elder, but he might be in the middle of something going on in his life that you don't know about, but some other people know about, and it's probably not a good time for him to be an elder or deacon, and then you'll embarrass him. Does that make sense? So don't go to him first. Go to the committee, and then they'll say, they'll go to our leadership and say, hey, do we know any reason why Mr. Smith shouldn't be an elder or deacon? No, we love him. He's great. That would be a great nomination. And then after all those names come up, along with our existing elders and deacons, they'll be two weeks before we vote on them. You'll get a chance to see who those folks are, and you get to pray about it and think about it and look at these qualifications biblically and say, hey, is that somebody I'm going to vote for? And on that date, you'll get a chance to, to, to vote for them. And that means you have a voice, right? We have a voice. And so I just want to let you all know how that particular function works. Now, um, that's kind of an awkward place to go. Now, who wants to be a Christian? That's kind of, that's kind of an awkward place to, to have an invitation. But we like to do that every week. And we're getting ready to go into a time of communion, and um, the reason we do communion every week is the same reason we have elders and deacons. We looked at the early church, and that's what they did, and so we try to practice that, and we can talk about that later, but if you're a guest here with us today, and you're not a member of our church, but you are a believer, we invite you to partake in communion when we're going to serve that in just a little bit, and we invite you to be a part of that. You don't have to be a member of our church, and somebody will bring it to you, and you'll take the bread and the cup and hold it, and then somebody will collect the cups a little bit later, but I just want to let y'all know how that is. But during that time that we're preparing our hearts for communion to remember the death of Christ for our sins, not only for my sins, but for the whole world's sins, we're going to reflect on that and what that means to me personally. But if there's somebody here today that would like to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we're going to give that opportunity to you. Or if you're looking for a church home where we believe in doing what God's Word says and staying true to that, if you're looking for a church home like that, we invite you to make that decision as well. So our, our team is up here and they're going to lead us in a song to prepare our hearts for communion. So I'm going to ask y'all to stand and let's get our hearts and minds in the frame of reference to remember Jesus and his death for us at this time.